Welcome to Popaganda. I'm Shannon Perez-Darby with my co-host, Tajmika Torak. This is just a quick note at the top of the episode to first, thank you so much for listening. It really means a lot to us. Second, just a quick reminder that this is the last episode in our season with less than ideal sound quality. We really appreciate you sticking with us while we learn. Now on to Popaganda, where we invite you to come for the pop culture and stay for the abolition. Oh, and I also have an update for you. I misrepresented my relationship to Buffy, the vampire slayer, and I didn't realize it. You know, I was with my sister last week and I was telling her about this project that we're doing. It came up that I used to pick her up from school and bring her home when when she still lived here. And she's 14 years younger than me. So she would have been around 11, between 11 and 13. And I would bring her home. And apparently we would watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Charmed. I think maybe Charmed came on first and that's the one I cared about. And I had small children at the time. So I must have not really been as invested (laughs) She does not agree, by the way. She does not agree that I was not as invested. I have zero recollection of this, but I believe that it's true. I know that we would have come home and watched that. That's my update. I didn't remember that I watched Buffy, but I did. And it's a very good update. It's important to, I'm, uh, you know, I'm writing this book that includes these um, kind of memoir essays. And one of the tasks is fact checking some of the pieces with the people Mm -hmm. who were there. Because yeah. I'm like, did my kid memory, let's just double check that my kid memory <laughs> understood some of these basic shapes correctly. I just thought it was really sweet that my sister, though, it's sort of a core memory for her, that I would pick her up from school, we would watch these shows, and then my mom would come and pick her up. Now I do feel like I have to go back and watch it. So today we are talking about TikTok and TikTok accounts and TikTok cancellations. As a middle-aged Black woman, it entered my life the same way as it does for most people my age through Instagram. And it was interesting because I was on sabbatical when I found TikTok. And when I started making TikTok videos, it kind of felt like this oasis where no one knew me in the ways that my other social media accounts were. Like I didn't have a following or people that, and people that were following me were not from my community. They were just people from the world that found me on TikTok. And so it kind of felt like a little hidey hole that I could go into and get the relief from being like public survivor that does this work in the world. I could just be like a goofball and enjoy the joy of other people's jokes and their stories and start building relationship with these new folks that I had met online. It kind of carried me through a significant period of depression and figuring out my own mental illness. The way that I connected with other people's stories helped me along. So I love TikTok. My journey to TikTok is very similar. I also have loved the anonymity of TikTok where it's like a relief Mostly I have been consumer of TikTok, not trying to build necessarily two-way relationships through TikTok. It has a similar thing to me as TV does, where I'm like watching these beautifully interesting curated little snippets into people's world. And I don't think there's an accident that the Venn diagram of TikTok and neurodiversity is high. And I think the medium does a thing for that, which is it has all these little snippets There's just a million little worlds that I would never have known about that I love learning about. I don't know if you're on this side of TikTok, but there's the person who has turtles that she buries in the winter to hibernate. Oh, no. I'm going to need that curation, please. It's one of those things where I would have never learned this without TikTok. Turtles, at least that kind of turtle hibernates naturally. So they bury themselves in the ground. But these are pet turtles. And so then her family does this thing every fall where they bury and you have to get like a certain amount down to get below the frost level. And then they bury their turtles like just in their backyard. They put a circle of rocks and then the spring they dig the turtles up and wake them up from their hibernation. 
I just love knowing that. That is so sweet. There's so much that I have learned from TikTok. I apologize to my kids because when I fell into TikTok and started loving it, I realized that TikTok was their YouTube. I could never get into YouTube. And I think you're right about that Venn diagram of neurodivergence because TikTok was too long for me. And the production value back when my kids were watching it was not great, right? And so I could, it could never keep my attention. I went to them and I was like, oh my gosh, I get it now. I get it now. Because now I'm following people that I have this parasocial relationship yep. with. I care about who they are and, and what's going on in their lives. They love PewDiePie. They love Markiplier. They even have me watching Salmonella. I don't know if you've ever watched that on YouTube. It's basically a animated series that takes you through lots of history facts. And, and some of it is facts that, you know, as an unschooling parent, I'm glad they know about. And some of them are facts that feel less relevant <laughs> to like their world. Just a fascinating medical story or something interesting. It has kind of changed the way that I view how they spend their time online. And I've actually had to apologize to them for diminishing their experience and what they were learning and how they were learning through what I would consider how I learned through fictional novels. It's a cousin to that. And I was really kind of disrespectful about it. I felt really bad when I got into TikTok. You know how there's that TikTok? It's like, am I the drama? I was like, am I the asshole? <laughs> what a like, sweet moment of everyday accountability, too, to be like, oh, I understand. I'm sorry I, did, I didn't see the vision about how important this was to you. I get it. Oh, sorry. Apologies on that. Yeah. Especially when I see people not get it, why I love it so much. I can also relate. Having a thing that feels really good and healthy and like I'm learning things and enjoying it and have other people be like, that's for kids. There's parallels to me about how growing up people talked about TV and how people talk about TikTok, not having any value, being sort of empty, being like a waste of my time. It's okay to like things and it's not a waste of my time because it brings me joy. So it's mm -hmm. okay to have joy. There's very few things that so consistently bring me joy as TikTok, honestly. I will often watch TikToks before bed and then just be like giggling and giggling to myself. And my partner will always be like, you watch the TikToks? And I'm like, yes, this is just bringing me so much joy. Yeah, that, that is a thing. It doesn't have to bring you wealth or typical formal education. You can actually just learn things from the world around you. What I also find as a, a side propaganda parenting tip, one thing that's really useful that I wish I would have understood as my kids were little, is when your kids are sharing TikTok videos with you, they're sharing their algorithm. And so they're actually telling you what information is being sent to them and whether through their friends or through the algorithm itself, where are there maybe places of intervention that need to be addressed in the ways that they're thinking about life. And I, I wish I would have known that when they were younger and been more skillful to be like, oh, that video, instead of being like, that video is terrible. I don't want you watching that account or whatever. I don't do that to my kids. I just note that's pretty fat phobic. Noted. That's a place where we need to talk about that more. It, but I don't need to be like, that account is trash because then it just sets up the space of animosity. And we're all a little fat phobic if we're honest. Can I help my kids and myself look at some of these themes that are coming up? and have conversations that move them in the direction I want them to be. Like, I want to be the algorithm. I'm the mama rhythm. You're you know? a one-liner genius over there. I'm like, mm-hmm, mama rhythm, absolutely. Mama rhythm. We're just going to keep coming up with things that we can't, actually, we don't have the energy. That's very generous that you keep saying we. I was like, I'm pretty sure a disproportionate amount of those ideas are yours, but I'm laughing at them and be like, absolutely, I'll be your hype man. Listen, that is a role. That is a role. <laughs> so who do you have a favorite TikTok account or like a favorite TikTok genre that you follow? Yeah, you know, my entry into TikTok uh, was makeup TikTok. And so mm -hmm. one of the things I picked up during the pandemic is makeup. You know, identify my gender as DIY femme. And mm -hmm. so like femininity and not quite like a high femme, but 
a DIY femme, which is like, I like these like high femme things, but I'm also kind of lazy, like not gonna spend an hour on my makeup or I'm only going to do that for a very special thing. It's not that I wouldn't like to have that be done. I'm just not going to do it. I'm a little lazy. And so I like uh, queer femininity that also has a DIY version. I've had the time in quarantine times to pick up a hobby. You know, I wasn't commuting. I wasn't driving to work every day. So I had time in the morning to actually put on my makeup. I too am the same way. I don't think you're lazy. I think you're practical. And if I had the budget of famous person, I absolutely would spend more time playing in my closet. Today, I'm actually going out to forage flowers for a friend. And I'm like, I could absolutely do my makeup and look fancy while I'm standing out there fighting off ticks in the Michigan wildlife. Or I could just dress appropriately for the day. (laughs) Exactly. And so my intro to TikTok it is really that I saw uh, Michaela, who's like a very, very famous TikTok makeup influencer that I saw actually was an Urban Decay. I think it was maybe an explicit ad, but it might have just been content that Michaela had made that was like with an Urban Decay product that then Urban Decay had shared on Instagram. And I was just so charmed by Michaela that I was like, I want to check her out. In many ways, Michaela was the final piece that brought me in where I was like, okay, I'm going to go watch. And then that kind of launched my commitment to TikTok. So I do have this complex parasocial relationship with Michaela and her TikTok influencer self. So she was the starter drug for me on TikTok. I have a strange relationship with meeting strangers on the internet and building relationship because I also really believe in reciprocity and like when you call someone a friend or like when you are actually in relationship with someone, it, requ- it requires something of you. And so I'm really careful about how far I move towards relationship with people if I know that I don't have capacity to actually be in relationship. It's a little bit of both and like there's definitely accounts that I follow that I love. I would be happy to curate that list for anybody who's interested. And then there's people who, yeah, I actually now know and have had Zoom meetings with and have imagined projects with and thought about that I just actually really enjoy the way that they think. And so moving towards like having real friendship with them made sense for me. My bestie and your bestie sit down by the fire. Your bestie says she want parties, so can we make these flames go higher? Talking about hey now, hey now, hey now, hey now, I go, I go, I need. I'm curious, what kinds of things have you noticed when we think about our conversation around like social justice and transformative justice? What are you noticing in the TikTok world around those themes? There's so much. I think the first thing I want to name is the thing that I really love. So I'm not going to complain first. We're going to do that sandwich where you say something good and then you say something negative and then you. I love a compliment sandwich. That's one of my favorite strategies. Yes. (laughs) I'm making a compliment sandwich for TikTok. The folks that I did build relationship with, they have something called a justice collaborative network where they, it's people who are really interested in these topics of not just topics of justice, but like living into them and creating content that helps move that forward. Which when I'm not being silly and cracking jokes and being petty, that's where I want to be. And so I've really enjoyed knowing that there are people who are taking those practices and applying them to how they relate to the world online. And that feels really important to me. Then the second thing that I noticed is that there are a lot of people who use that language in a way that is a bastardization or like they understand the theory, but they don't have the practice. And they don't necessarily even have the community around them that's practicing it. So whatever they call accountability is accountability. Whatever they call justice is justice. You know, like they can name something gaslighting and it just is. That part gives me a lot of pause because again, it's not just myself interacting with this app. I have young people in my house that are interacting on this app. There are people who are ingesting this version of accountability and justice practices that is very bereft of like the meatiness, groundedness of the practice of living it every day in community with people that also practice it, that is very obvious to me and maybe isn't 
as obvious to people who are very hungry because they're not living in a community where they have access to this or where it's important. And so that becomes the theory that they're following. For me, one of the best examples of that is the womb lands uh, unfolding of events. For people who aren't familiar, the basic beats of womb lands is these two, at the time, pretty popular, pretty, you know, at least over a million followers each TikTokers. So Chelsea and Lance's handle was Modern Warrior. And they started a romantic sexual relationship. And then in the course of that, things broke down pretty quickly. Chelsea posted a series of videos sort of calling Lance out for a bunch of behavior, including being deceptive, having multiple romantic sexual relationships with people he wasn't open about. There was a whole set of things about Chelsea being pregnant. For many weeks on TikTok, it was all everybody could talk about. Draw a map. Okay. So y'all know Mr. Hey Colonizer, right? Okay, him and his lady named Chelsea have been friends on TikTok for about a year. But according to Chelsea, things became more than just friends, honey. For about six months, they had a little something going on. So through text message and FaceTime and calls and sending letters through Doves, honey, they had been kept in contact with each other. She asked him, you seeing someone? And he was like, nah, I ain't seen nobody. He even asked her about polyamory. And homegirl was like, no, honey, I need to be the only one. So they never had that conversation again. Now, somewhere located in Chelsea's mind, I really don't know where, okay? Maybe, maybe here? Maybe here, maybe? She thought that they had a clear understanding, but clearly she had all that shit fucked up. So with that in mind, she decided that she was gonna fly her little happy ass out to go see Mr. Colonizer, and things got a little heated, if you know what I'm saying, okay? So less than 24 hours of her getting her back knocked out, Chelsea was on TikTok just scrolling and then to her surprise, Mr. Colonizer was on a date with another woman. Ain't that about a bitch? So what did Chelsea do? She set up her ring light, she posted a video to TikTok and honey, she was crying telling us all her business. So y'all know when one come out, honey, all gonna start coming out the woodwork, okay? So this lady, Amanda Banana Marie, came out and said that her and Chelsea's story was twin them, honey, identical, the exact same. She also flew out to go see Mr. Hay Colonizer. And yes, things got heated between the two, okay? Oh yeah, and both situations with both women were unprotected, ew. So Miss Banana Amanda Marie here decided that she was gonna come to TikTok and tell her business, okay, tell her side of the story. And of course Chelsea seen it and she duetted it and then she started calling the girl, like I said, exchange numbers or whatever, and she started calling her and calling her and telling her, hey, post this, say that, do this, don't do that, when to post, how to post, she just became Coach Chelsea. Chelsea was yelling at her and everything. Marie Amanda Banda said, hell no, okay? She said, uh-uh, we ain't gonna do all that. So she came to TikTok and she aired it out. She said, Miss Chelsea was using her white tears to defame Mr. Hay Colonizer. But all the black women were sitting here like, we been told you this, we, we told you this. We, we, we said this from the beginning, honey. We over here sipping our tea like, mm-hmm. She said that Chelsea came on here to cry, lie, and weaponize and get more followers. But we had already knew this. Well, everybody got paid, everybody was being nasty, everybody got lied to, and now you all caught up, and now you know why that wedding picture is a shocker. Even though Amanda came out and said that that was her friend, we not buying it. So uh, when that was happening, I uh, had just had a pretty intense situation in my life. A thousand homes in the town that I grew up in burnt down in December, including my childhood home. That was my mom's home at the time. And so it was a very stressful, very intense period of time that I left my day job. My partner and I took a trip to go visit some friends in Mexico. And so I was sitting on the beaches of Mexico, watching TikToks and giving my partner updates about what was happening with Womblands and just being like, okay, babe, here's what's happening now. Okay, wait, Lance has a response. Okay, here's somebody else's. Okay, there's a new, another woman's come out and she's made a TikTok. And so there was something very mm, attention grabbing about what happened and then all the commentary in response to it. And people had very strong reactions. And one of the things is that Chelsea was very clearly struggling. And so in the same way, I think Chelsea uses they, them pronouns now, they were having, clearly having a crisis. And the same thing that you were saying where 
I really wanted somebody to be in their real life, not these millions of people online, to say, hey, I love you so much. I'm going to take your phone from you. You are in crisis. We're not making um, like off the cuff videos that we put on the internet while you're in crisis. Let's pause. Let's make sure you have what you need. Let's take care of you. How can we make sure you're getting what you need? There's a lot going on right now. Your mental health is really struggling. I felt worried that they didn't seem to have anybody in their, in their everyday life who could do that for them, that they had this huge platform of people who were having opinions, but very few people in their real life who could come and say, I love you. I care about you. This doesn't seem good. Let's pause. If I'm ever in a moment of crisis, I hope that the people in my everyday life are saying, let's put down your phone. We're not going to post anything on social media. Let's pause. Let's take a beat. Let's make sure you're a real body and everyday life is like doing okay. And I noticed that there's a lot of folks whose life is as an influencer or where they're making their money and that is their job, who then there's a lot of pressure to put all this content out. So then they're always just pumping, pumping, pumping. And they build this muscle of if something's happening, I share it with my followers that seem to have these moments of crisis where they don't have people in their everyday life who are saying, hey, we're not going to do that. We're just going to take a minute. We're going to make sure you're okay. And that's a thing I feel very, so worried about people for that. I want people to be well. And I feel worried that that's not working for a lot of folks. I remember watching through this whole thing because this was also pretty, I don't want to say it was early in my TikTok you know, life or experience, but I think it actually kind of was one of the first major TikTok beefs, you know, because there's always beefs. And I don't know about you, but I will always make time to investigate a beef. (laughs) Absolutely. For some reason, that feels like something I shouldn't admit out loud, but absolutely. I was on vacation giving my partner blow by blow updates of Wombland's. Yeah. Listen, I am a human person. And like all of those TikToks where the the themes of like people vacuuming on their porch because their neighbors are having a fight. I think I made a TikTok actually where I was like, listen, I am not here to mind my own business. Like if I was going to mind my own business, I would not be on TikTok. So if you post a fight, I'm going to read all the comments. I'm going to go all the way back to the original you know, video. I'm going to have an opinion. I'm going to have an opinion. I may not share it. I have to know. <laughs> like, I don't know why, but I do. I just need to know what's going on here. <laughs> so I feel like it was pretty early in like seeing a big major TikTok beef between really large content creators. And I remember feeling a lot of things about the conflation between someone cheating on you and that being some kind of an assault based on what we know, because it's always the same thing, right? Like based on my interpretation of what I know and what I saw is that he, was he dishonest? Absolutely. Was he maybe a fuck boy? Probably. Did that not work out for Chelsea? Absolutely. And was she also vulnerable in a way that made that worse? Absolutely. Same as what you're wishing for Chelsea. I'm like looking at Lance, like as this person, who had created a brand around being a good person, a person who was thoughtful, a person who had really good values, and then turned around and did something that was the opposite of what I think people expected from him. I really hope that someone sat him down and was like, okay, we can hold that this was, you are not a perpetrator or, you know, there were people throwing around language of perpetrator or pedophile of like all these really violent criminalizing words too, but what is your part in this? What message did you give to the community about who you are as a person that you violated in the way that you treated this person? Whether you want to be with them or not, that is not behavior that you should be engaging in moving forward, especially if you want to be out here talking about other people and how they live their lives. That is not okay. We can't see the behind the scenes, but I was like, I hope that he has people in his corner that are sitting with him and saying like these things that you are experiencing are complicated and nuanced and it's not a hundred percent right what's happening to you kind of the same way you were talking about the red table with jordan and the kardashians i love you i'm here with you i will ride with you and also you participated in this in a really harmful way and i think we need to do some deep thinking about how we move forward without causing harm And the other piece that really worries me about the way that people engage with TikTok is the layers of people feeling harmed by an event that had nothing to do with them. You know, that speaks to the parasocial relationships that are created, but I'm like, Lance did not hurt my feelings. 
Uh, Chelsea did not hurt my feelings. What did I, did I see racism and sexism and misogyny and all these things that I don't want in the world happening within that TikTok beef? Sure. But I'm fine. Like I'm good. And there were some people who were like legit, not good (laughs) at all. I'm trying to pay attention to pattern recognition, to seeing as these kinds of events happen at least I notice them more. I don't know if they're increasing in frequency, but as I see more and more of them happen, I'm trying to pay attention to what happens. Like what's the rhythm of these kinds of social media blowups? One that I really saw happen with the Womblan situation is that white folks, particularly white women, came out really fast with a lot of meaning making, a lot of critiques, a lot of ideas about what happened. And then there was a pause. So like the next day or two, then Black folks, mostly Black women, and uh, Native TikTok started coming out with a much more nuanced, much more thoughtful, a pause, a highly complicated piece about being like, yeah, Lance should not be acting like that. And also, we're not going to come for him. There was lots of many nuanced things, but that was much more the vibe. Folks on Native TikTok who are Indigenous being like, hey, I think just stay out of our business. Pause. We don't need your opinion about this. Like, we'll take care of it. We got to handle. Stop. And just really seeing that, like, that first wave of people doing really fast meaning making is rarely the thing I'm trying to actually consume. And then the next beat of folks that are actually saying very complicated, nuanced things, that that is where some of the value of the meaning making came for me. Yeah. You also bring to mind Witchy Twitchy. I don't know if you remember that she lost her. And I, I'm not sure... Now I want to go check their pronouns. I'm not sure if they, yeah, they lost their account for a period of time. And it had to do with the way that Chelsea went after. Witchy Twitchy is like the spokesperson of all the Native people who were saying no thank you to the masses of white women who were having a very quick response to protect, you know, because one thing white women are going to do is they're going to protect other white women. (laughs) Like that's one thing that if you're looking for a pattern, there's one, right? I think that's why I have that reaction about who is actually being harmed, like who's at the center of being harmed. Thank you, Shannon. Uh, Did a little side Google moment where I went to her Instagram and on the top she said, "Has she her?" So thank you, Witchy Twitchy, Twitchy Witchy, Witchy Twitchy. Right? I'm saying that right. Witchy Witchy Twitchy. Yeah. Thank you for listing your pronouns. We appreciate you. That watching her go through that as like a person who was ancillary and just one person who had an opinion of many who shared that opinion end up getting targeted by all of these folks coming for her. Why are these folks acting more hurt and harmed than the people who are a part of the situation and the people who are sort of like the collateral damage in the situation? And witchy twitchy for me was that person where I was like, this, this is the part I have a problem with. I have a little problem with people coming for people who are doing shitty things publicly. I have a real big problem when someone has less power. And because these other folks who have a lot of social power are in their feels, you know, it's like they say comedians are supposed to punch up and not down. And I'm like, y'all are punching down because it, it distracts from the ways that you're behaving that is actually outside of your values. It's so much easier to go after this indigenous content creator who had an opinion that you didn't like, specifically Chelsea. I don't, I don't think this is necessarily a part of what Lance was doing. Like, that's not cool. That actually bothered me a lot. I totally agree. I have such a soft spot in my heart for Witchy Twitchy, who I was already following on TikTok before this happened. And in part, because as a mixed Mexican Latina, particularly where my roots are in the Southwest and in that the border crossed us, we didn't like we were here and then the border changed. And so in this complex landscape of for many Latinos and like Mexican folks specifically around our relationship to like indigenousness, right? It is a complex landscape of colonialism for many of us how we're relating to being indigenous is just a very overlapping conversation with Native American conversations and is also distinct. And so this piece where like in my family, there's a lot of people who are like really able to hold on to a long historical, like literally into the 1800s roots around our relationship to 
who are the like white Latinos and who are the indigenous brown Latinos in my family. And there is a combination of hundreds of years of mixtures of that that made us. Many people don't have clean lines that they can track across their family histories. And Witchy Twitchy talks a lot about that. I believe that she's mixed. And so her indigenous family um, is family she was separated from for a period of her life. And then she's doing this really active process of reconnecting with her grandparents who I believe are Cherokee, but I can go look to make sure. Um, But her indigenous grandparents and this part around like, how does she re-relate to this complex weaving that is so relatable to me in my experience of being Mexican, of being Latino around this complex weaving many people in my family have done. And so I just already felt such a uh, warmth and connection with her about how painful that is and how publicly she was sharing that. And then seeing other indigenous people being like, you're always welcome back here. We're so happy. We understand there's so many severings that happen. There's children that are like taken away that then trying to find their way back and we need a path for that. And then also people being like, ha ha ha, you're actually white. I don't know what you're talking about. And so I just already felt such tenderness for her and being so public about a very nuanced journey. And then to watch people come for her in this way and then have like kick up those same things about who was she to even talk about what was going on. I felt really sad to see how that went down. As a fellow biracial who also in a different cultural context um, experienced a lot of separation throughout history and with my family and how folks use that to sort of diminish both my personhood, like who I am as a person um, and the history that made me, as well as when I have a point that they don't like, then suddenly I'm not Black and I shouldn't be a part of the conversation, right? And I'm like, but if I agreed with you, would I still be Black? You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things that colonization and white supremacy has created these pain points where we don't even know how to reconnect and love one another back into community because we're so focused on scarcity and being like, no, this is how we identify. These are the rules of what it means to be this kind of person. And it is heartbreaking. It's definitely something that I've experienced in my life. It's definitely something that I wish that we could throw off. That's the whole point of white supremacy is to keep us from knowing ourselves and one another. And so anytime I feel like someone is setting up a boundary that is not real, you know, like a border, perhaps, those are the things that I think about. It's like, who does this serve? It actually does not serve my community to push people out who belong to us based on blood quantums that was established by white supremacy. We have a cultural familiarity that supersedes that. There is something that happens online when there's a big explosion of opinions and people, there's that whirling I don't know if I even shared with you at this point that I I had an experience where a bunch of TERFs tried to get me fired. I haven't talked about it. We'll have to do an episode on it (laughs) because it's a, a long story. That was like really painful and hurtful. And it really refined my social circle. And I do hope that for Witchy Twitchy in particular, that that is sort of what happened, that when things fell away and the hype wasn't there anymore, that she was really left in loving hands. Because TikTok does have that power where like, because of the algorithm, it really can help you find the people who you are best aligned with in the ways that you believe and how you want to be in the world. And I really hope that that's what happened for her. I have no idea. Have you even looked at where Lance or Chelsea is in the world? Lance left TikTok and like shut his TikTok down. He came and did a short resurgence where he like tried to kind of like start it up again, but now his account doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I don't know more beyond he's not in any public facing social media anymore. And then Chelsea also took a break, came back. He's been really favoring Instagram. And so she took a break. She did a lot of meaning making kind of stuff and talking about her experience and their experience and talking very particularly around they were having mental health crisis and then a lot of people were like kill yourself so they did a a lot of stuff on instagram about being like hey not cool like i was in an inpatient while people were coming for me um the internet and so then chelsea is still on tiktok 
sometimes Chelsea, I think I can't remember if I unfollowed Chelsea or not, but Chelsea will come up. They still do like lives and stuff. So their lives will pop up on my For You page from time to time. But I think they have a still a pretty big platform. I think they have still have somewhere in 50,000 followers-ish. Mm-hmm. So it decreased, but they're doing more sort of like, I would call like international fe- feminism kind of flavored uh, content that I see from time to time. That also makes me feel uncomfortable too, because there's nothing like, uh, there's n- like no one falls up like a white person. You know, I, I again, I don't, I don't think that what Lance did was right. I don't think any of this is like, makes me want to be like, oh, these people are people I want to have a relationship with and follow. Like no, no, no part of this was really good. And also I'm just like, Lance was no more wrong in this situation than Chelsea was and a lot of the things that they did. I really struggle with how quickly TikTok becomes a space where someone literally can't exist in peace. They cannot have an online persona, brand, whatever, because truly people have decided that they are disposable and that they deserve to, for the rest of their lives, be punished for cheating on someone. And that is really wild to me. And it really does set up an expectation that people are always going to be in their values. So a question that I am always asking or pondering about these experiences is like, okay, so this was harmful, but what is the path back? What do people actually need to do? Because if I remember correctly, I feel like maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he never apologized. Do you remember if he apologized? He did a, it almost felt like if your agent or your your media manager gave you an apology to read off a sheet of paper. I believe that he did an apology that was I'm sorry you feel bad is sort of the energy instead of like, I'm sorry that I did, was dishonest with you um, kind of apology that then he ended up taking down because people were like, that's not it. Man. And then I cannot remember if there was a second apology in there. I actually think for the purpose of this conversation, it's probably important to remove Chelsea and Lance. Like we just talked about womb lands. Like that's a great example of, of what we're talking about, but it's not the only example of... TikTok beefs and of cancellations that have led to people having to actually leave the platform because they've been so targeted. I'm always curious about those in particular that do offer an apology, that do offer that they are working to change behavior and they are still not allowed by the masses to return to the platform. As much as we want to believe that like online life isn't real, it it is. These are like people, humans that are just creating videos of themselves. So they are actually people. And so then how do people, when we're talking about justice and accountability, how, when you have a court of a million people, what do you do? What do you do? How do you, who do you go to? Like, is this, is this the jury? Like, is this the jury of my peers? Who is the one who decides that I have done the things that are required to repair the harm and to move forward to no longer cause the harm. I don't know what the answer is to that on a, in a TikTok way. What do you think? I've been really trying to pay attention to what happens around social media cancellation. As the work I'm doing becomes more public, it feels like having a plan for what happens if and when people have some big response on the internet, it's good to have a plan for that. Hopefully that never happens. You know, my social media platform is very modest, which is great. It means it's very relational. There's very few people outside a friend of a friend or someone who like organized with someone I know a while ago. Like that's mostly who's in my social media world. But I've been trying to pay attention to with when folks have a big platform and then there is some kind of cancel this person call, how those people move and who moves successfully through that. And who is crushed by it, like who disappears and we never, we don't hear from them again in a public way. I will say there's absolutely racialized nature of that. Most of the people I've seen navigate that and be able to maintain their platforms are white women. And I have not seen a lot of folks of color been able to navigate that and maintain their platforms and not just have to sort of disappear from those. And so the two places where I have seen people navigate that, that I, that does seem like it has some information about how to move 
There was a call to cancel Brene Brown. It was oh, because yeah. she was on Spotify and Spotify was not removing oh, Joe, Joe Rogan. Rogan. And because they wouldn't cancel his account, everyone was demanding that, um, not everyone, and I'm sure Brene Brown wasn't the only one that this demand, but it was real strong with Brene Brown that she leaves Spotify and her contract and no longer fuck with them. While, of course, Spotify is like, all of these, all these other people that are using it. She did what a lot of people did, which is like, she paused. She stopped making episodes of her podcast. She took a break from social media. And then she did an episode of her podcast when she came back after a handful of months and did an episode where she talked about that experience, where she was saying, you know, there was like tweets that were hashtag cancel Brene Brown. And then I decided to pause the podcast because I had concerns about the platform's responsibility around misinformation. I wanted to understand it better. I thought a pause was a responsible way to do it because it wasn't a, I'm pulling everything because I didn't understand everything. And that one of the things that we talk about this community in our work is, shit, man, you got to pause and learn more. You know, it's back to that, you know, there is a space between stimulus and response And in that space is choice and in choice is power and freedom. And my recovery is about that space. And so I just push pause. And when I push pause, all hell broke loose. And as I tried to navigate what decisions I was going to make and what decisions I was allowed to make, because there were legal contractual things, you know, I just... I had limits. Um, there was, you know, cancel Brene Brown was trending for a couple of days on Twitter. And we reached out to people and said, what's going on? And they're like, some of this is real, but you, you have fallen inside of the sights of the robots too. Like you're under attack. And I had friends who were therapists call and say, Jesus, we're worried. Are you reading the comments? You can't read the comments. What you're doing, you know, seems smart and thoughtful, but you are on the receiving end of an enormous amount of hate and cruelty. And it's, you know, but yet I'm reading them and I'm having to do things like pull the people whose job it is to moderate comments off because they're coming to their managers and saying, I'm traumatized. I can't take anymore. You know, it was just hard. And I keep using the word hard and I'm trying to think of a better word. It was painful. It was, I was in deep shame because it's not the critic who counts. It's, I'm the person who, you know, don't care what other people think, but I'm also human. Because she has such a big platform, including just lots of famous people in her life, She was saying that she had multiple very famous people who had had cancel those people kinds of campaigns reach out to her privately and really coach her through that experience. And she said that is what made the big difference where the people were like, this has happened to me. Hey, how do we take care of you? And that she had the people in her everyday life who were able to care for her. The people I've seen be most successful is you pause, you stop putting out stuff. You don't react to anything. You pause on your public media piece and then you you go and you get the people who love you in everyday life um, and you get right size, you get the care you need, you understand if you have a part that you do need to take care of, that that seems to be what works well. And so I really heard Brene Brown talking about her own experience of like, is there some responsibility I have here that I do need to apologize or attend to? I also deserve care because I'm a human who's trying to navigate the world and having people say nasty things about me on the internet is not good for me as a human. And so I was really paying attention to how, how she navigated that. And the second piece is with Michaela, coming back to, to Michaela, there was this situation in Mascara Gate where she posted a TikTok where she was using like a new L'Oreal mascara. And she posted the TikTok with like a before and after where she had one eye where she said she had put on the mascara and the other eye uh, without. It is probably true. It seems pretty clear that she was wearing false lashes on one of the eye that enhances the, the look that makes it seem like the uh, mascara made the big dramatic effect when she also had false lashes on. 
also it was a paid promotion through L'Oreal, but she didn't have anywhere. It wasn't obvious. It was like buried in the um, tags. Like there was like a hashtag ad in there, but it didn't have like a paid promotion. It didn't have anything that made it obvious that she was getting paid for that TikTok. People came for her for weeks on makeup TikTok. Every one of her TikToks that she posted after that were making fun of her, making these really harsh comments making these snarky things so they would flood all the rest of her TikToks with these snarky comments. And the thing is, it's mascara, people. I agree that she should have been more transparent. And she's one single person who's 24 years old, who started by doing makeup videos in her bedroom. And then now it became her job. And I can just offer her some grace on that, really. It's like, she's not scamming people. She's making money, making TikToks about makeup that people like. She's not doing some complex thing. It's a complex world if nobody has taught you. I think she has like 10 million followers on TikTok. She has a big platform. And to have that kind of attention at 24 with no training, no support, you don't have anyone who's training you how to be in the public eye like that, of course, you're going to make some missteps here and there. And I have lots of spaciousness that you did not appropriately tag a video that was a paid partnership. I'm a smart person. I understand how mascara works. I can do my own discernment about whether that mascara is going to do that for my, it's like a $10 mascara. If I bought it and it didn't make that difference, that's fine. But how intense people were about that. So I began this career three years ago, and I think it's fair to say that I am definitely not the girl from 2020. I've grown, I've changed, to be expected when you're a human. I think I was 22 when I began this, and now I'm 25. When I began this career, I loved it so much, and I still do, but it's different. I grew on the internet so, so fast, and so did the pressure. When I began this career in 2020, I felt I could be so just like myself and open, and I was so different in 2020, even 2021 a little bit. And then the pressure just exploded in my face and with that growth has come more and more people in my ear telling me what I can do and can't do should do and shouldn't do can say and can't say and it's just like shut up (laughs) I feel like I just can't I have become so robotic and so calculated and and less me and it sucks and I don't want it to be like that but that is what happens in this career as you grow you get the management you get the PI you get everybody and they're all telling you what to do and it's like no like I just want to do I want to do what I love and I'm gonna fucking cry god damn it really I just I want to say sorry to you to myself I can't express to you how mentally terrifying this career can be to someone like me, I can only speak for myself. And it's my own fault at the end of the day because it's my problem comparing myself to all the other beauty influencers. And I, I cannot be doing that. What was so amazing is so she did a pause. I think she took six weeks off. She came back, didn't comment at all about it. She made one little joke that was like a little dry joke. And then she kept it moving, kept it moving. She's still making her money. She has sells her following. And I was so amazed by the grace and the groundedness in which she took a break. She does seem to have a solid network of real life people in her life that it got her. And then she kept it moving and she didn't fight with people about mascara on the internet. I think that's the move. I think humor too. You know, like the people who are able to come back and just make a joke about it when, pe- when they know that it's clear that it's ridiculous instead of leaning into like trying to prove. It's like you can't make things that are illogical logical. It just, it's not possible. If people have already jumped to an illogical conclusion, you can't walk them back from that, especially when you're talking about 10 million people. Like that's just not going to happen. So I love that. And I was thinking about this. One of the, one of the trends that I have seen, not just online, I wish I heard someone say once that in order to become an abolitionist, the first cop you have to kill is the one inside yourself. And I don't know, I'm sorry, I don't know who said it or where I read it. I absorb a lot of content, people. I'm so sorry. But that person, thank you so much. (laughs) But when I'm working in organizing spaces, whether it's in community or I'm online witnessing something that's happening in the world, I have noticed that what people are trying to do is get power over And so even when we're supposedly fighting for the same things, like we're in the struggle for the same things, even within that group, 
even within that collective, there is someone or many someones who are less interested in the progress of the mission of that group as they are in maintaining power over the group. And it's really scary to me, to be honest. Like it's, it's actually really something that has made me feel like we need to have everybody take a beat and sit down and have a conversation about this because it completely, it destroys the relationships within the group because some people's opinion becomes more important. And usually it's the person with the most social clout and the other folks within the group don't feel heard. And I'm not even saying like they need to be heard about everything, but I mean, like, do we want to maintain relationship within an organizing group or don't we? We know that we can't do this alone. And yet we are throwing grenades on the relationships because we want to maintain power. And when I look at these comment sections and this going after people, you know, in ways that like, especially over mascara, it's not like she was, you know, I don't know, like Joe Biden who like lied about defunding the police or like paying back student loans. Yeah, She made some money and was not uh, hyper transparent about the level of uh, whether her commentary was paid or not. I, as a media, like conscious media consumer, I can do the nuanced thing of that. It's cool. Yeah, I can grapple with that when I know that there are people who are like spreading propaganda, people who are not upset about like Black people being murdered every day. If people would turn this energy towards the power that actually needs to be transformed and abolished, can I please get you to be as mad about something other than mascara, please? I would really love to harness that power. And I would really love if I could make a request to the world, if we could stop fighting over the power in spaces so that we can feel a sense of power in a world that takes it from us. That is not where we need to be grabbing our power from. And it is so detrimental. It's mostly men that do this, mostly men and mostly white women. I'm like, white women are already the weakest link in any of these organizing spaces. I'm just fully transparent. It's already hard enough to share organizing space in a productive way with white women. And men are kind of the same way. It's very hard to share organizing spaces with people who have been raised to believe that their opinion is the most important. And they they have not done their work to take a step back and listen to the other forms of wisdom that are in the room. And this is like another really glaring example to me of people who just want power. They're seeking power. They're not seeking a solution. They're not seeking transformation. They're not moving towards culture change. It really is about this person. I can have power over them because, ah, I got them. They were wrong. And now I can have my moment on my high horse and I can feel really good about the fact that this one thing I'm not wrong about in this moment. Less got you more relationship. I caught you being wrong and we're like, hey, how are we going to actually even parasocially be in relationship in a way that aligns to our values, to our integrity, instead of to a power grab of a got you? Yeah, because I just, the got you like doesn't really, I need to find another generative. I mean, it's not generative because I was going to, I keep saying productive and I don't, I don't really like that word because productive is connected to production. And not everything is about completing something or getting to a goal, but it's not generative and it restricts imagination because I can't share my ideas with you because you've already decided that you're the smartest person in the room. You have this collective of people who are so invested and interested in making something better. And even if they are not doing it in ways that are the ways that you love it or whatever, like Can we at least save space for people to have an opinion, for people to participate equitably in the organizing space where they're trying to challenge things? Can we respect expertise and leadership that isn't in this way where it's like leadership and expertise is always right and always has all the answers? Because because I have a you know, my friend Sarasis once said to me, her work is around campus transformative justice. I think it's actually called Campus TJ. She once said to me that like, yes to breaking up hierarchy, but no to ignoring expertise and experience. And so like there are people in the group that have more experience, have more lived experience, have more professional experience, have more education on these topics that absolutely should be at the forefront of the group guiding and leading. 
And also the way that that is done doesn't have to be harmful. It can be a collective decision around who should be making this decision based on those things and not just based on, well, this person is the person who says they should have all the decision-making power and we just vote them in and hope for the best that they can answer all the questions ever that come up around this topic. Because that's an unreasonable expectation of both groups of people, both the leader expertise holder and the people who are there to support and have their own unique gifts and skills that can add to what the person who is holding the bulk of the responsibility and the bulk of the risk. And I think I feel so passionate about this because I am a co-director in my life. I don't want hierarchy and I actually don't necessarily want to be in charge of everything, but I also want people that are coming alongside me to hold responsibility and risk in the same way that I do. And if that's not true, then that means that yes, there still is. There's my opinion does matter most, Because in this moment, I'm the one who can get their ass kicked for this decision. And that's not a space that everybody um, is comfortable holding or can hold. And that's okay. Just don't make it harder for the rest of us. You know what I'm saying, homie? Like, give me a break. Yeah. On the left, we have some real work to do on our relationship to power. And I have seen people do this thing where because most of us have had this uh, painful, hurtful, domineering experiences of power that we have done this thing where we've rejected power outright instead of being curious about what the role is for when there are people who are powerful. Because I want people to be powerful. We're going to need to be powerful to move how we need to move. And so we don't want power over. We don't want domineering power. But instead of just rejecting people who are in positions of power and saying like, that's wrong and bad, I actually needed to do a more nuanced thing, which is to understand who has power in the room, how are they using it? Are they moving with folks? Are they using that in a way that is harming folks? We need to think about it in a more nuanced way. But instead, a lot of folks on the left and in our social justice movements are just coming for anyone in power uh, without a nuanced understanding or a nuanced like other sets of questions around how is that person moving? Who are they accountable to? What are they doing with their power? And the result of that is that Nobody wants to be in a leadership position because nobody wants anyone coming for them. And I need leaders. We need leaders. And I want my leaders to rotate. I think it's really important to not have entrenched leaders that never leave, but to have periods of time where, you know, great, you have, this is your five years, lead, go, please lead. I love a like like values-based leader. I would love to follow skillful leaders. I don't want just a totally flat, Thing around everything. Like I want sometimes there'd be people who are in positions where they're leading us. Mm-hmm. And then I want to mix it up. I want to understand how the power works, but we have to reorganize how we think about our relationship to power because it's not working and it's actually getting in the way of moving how we need to move together. Yeah. And especially when it's also not loving. Maybe loving is maybe it's compassionate is really the word I'm looking for because it is true that people tend to have less compassion for folks who they think know the thing. You know, you should know better. Okay, sure. And also, can we hold compassion for people who are just being humans? Because none of us, you know, none of us are out here living in our values every minute of every day. I think really what the world needs is they need to have really woke children around them all the time. Because my children will fuck me up on a day where they'll they'll just be like, mom, We live in an old house. It's over 100 years old. And so every year we get mice. Doesn't matter what we do. We always have to set out mouse traps. We just have to be preemptive strike. I killed a mouse that was in a mouse trap. And my my eldest came in and was like, oh, why didn't you get a live trap? We could have just taken them outside. Like, why do you have to kill it? And I was like, because if you kill it and you put a lot and you just dump it out in your backyard, those fuckers come right back in. And he was like, not if you drive them out to like, and I'm like, so are you creating a mouse transport business? Because I, for one, my values do not carry me that far. Okay. I have other things to do. I, what I'm more likely to do is I have like this window bird feeder. And I think that's what's happening is they're like, it, 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 the window is open for this bird feeder. So the birds can basically come into my, I can see them in the window. And so they're like, it's a free lunch. So my ethical response is to just move the bird feeder because it's causing the problem. 
but he was like, like, he was like, I don't like killing things. Can we just get live traps and like do these things? You know, and I know this is like a very small, has nothing to do with politics, but he has a value around not killing animals. It hurts his feelings when animals are hurt. And he was very committed. He's like, if you're not willing to do it, I will take them. Luckily, he's almost 20. He'll be 20 this next week. So he has a car if he wants to do that. (laughs) He's not just criticizing. He's offering a solution and he's willing to move towards that solution so that the mice don't have to die. That's very sweet. I love that. Well, I wanted to close us out with one of my favorite things in TikTok, what I could imagine would be possible. There is this creator, Mercury Stardust. She's the trans handyman. Yes, I love Mercury Stardust. I love Mercury so much. Some of the things I love about Mercury and how I've been watching her move on TikTok Mm -hmm. is that she's very clearly grounded in a queer and trans community around her that is robust. She'll talk about who are the people who have her. She's very clearly connected with folks. And she's constantly thinking about how to use what is a pretty sizable platform now for community. So she's always thinking, hey, who else can I bring along? Who else can I build up a platform for? And I really watched her do that in some practical ways. It was a couple of months ago, uh, she did this fundraiser. She does it once every year. Uh, She Mm -hmm. did it last year for the first time to raise a million dollars for trans healthcare. So Mm -hmm. she did a 24-hour TikTok live. She had people donating to a trans-led nonprofit that provides trans-related mutual aid, basically. She did it this year, and she brought on Black trans woman creator Jory, and then they co-did it together, and they ended up raising over $2 million for trans healthcare. Oh, so beautiful. It was like Friday night, and I was enraptured in this live. Oh, this makes me like a little teary now. They have like friends coming and visiting to help out so they can eat and take breaks and bringing them food. And there's a whole community of people rolling through her garage while they raised $2 million. And then at the end, the trans guy who runs the fund and some friends, and I think maybe Mercury's partner, all got together and they said, hey, we know this is going to feel stressful for you and this is not going to feel tolerable for you. You just spent 24 hours nonstop raising $2 million for trans healthcare. I just want to notice that both of you don't actually have your healthcare needs met, that you are both saving up for gender affirming surgeries that you can't afford and don't have access to. So if we raise above $2 million, can we make sure that includes the gender-affirming surgeries each of them were prioritizing. It was like barely tolerable. They both started crying. People gave way above to the new benchmark that included both of them having the care they needed. And so then Mercury used this platform both to raise $2 million to also make this space where Jory now left her job and is now working as a full-time influencer because now she has the platform to do that. Then their community came in and made sure they were each cared for. And it was so beautiful. It's the most beautiful thing I've maybe ever seen on social media. That is how Mercury is using her platform. So she's thinking about how does she bring other people in and how does she use the platform she has to move in community and for community. And that is what's possible. And I just, it's so beautiful and touching. I want everyone to see that this was possible. I want everyone to see the trans joy should be the priority. When you talk about trans people, talk about their happiness. Talk about how we help each other. Talk about how we stand together and we we are one. Trans people are extremely talented at trying to persevere through a society often pushes you down. And we all we hear is negative things about us in the press constantly. But we know who we are. Thank you. We're one Oh, that makes me cry. It's just so beautiful. I just posted a TikTok this week about in abundance. You know, one of my friends, Christiana, had posted a video about sharing food with the neighbors from her garden and how that has built community, like built connection with people within her neighborhood. And there is a sense of really in marginalized communities, you know, historically marginalized communities that is more ready to share abundance, even when abundance looks like I have a single other egg. One of my closest friends lives like right around the corner from my house. And we have this joke because whenever she would come over for coffee in the morning or I would go to her house, at some point there was a day where I literally had an egg. We'll make food, we'll make drinks, whatever, we'll have coffee. But there's always some kind of exchange of like there's food being made at some point if we're spending an extended period of time together. When she texts me now, every now and again, she'll be like, you got an egg? 
think people think of sharing as something that has to be $2 million, right? That it has to be something that's so expansive. But like TikTok is a medium for sharing our abundance of like what we know, what we're doing, what we're creating, and to see how that can grow. Look at what the generosity of Mercury Stardust sharing from her perspective. I just love watching her. Like, I love her laugh. I love the way she brings so much joy to this topic. That's what I get from TikTok. That sense of abundance and how, I'm sorry, I was raised in the Bible Belt. I will always apologize because I always bring up biblical references, but it is not because I'm a Christian. That's what we say in the Bible, right? Is like abundance grows. When you share abundance, it grows. It's like the loaves and fishes. It's like my cup runneth over, which is probably what makes me so upset about people using the Bible badly, because that is what we're seeing on TikTok is people taking their abundance and adding on and adding on and adding on and really creating these spaces where they can help others through mutual aid through lessons that they wish they would have known, through skill building around cooking or makeup or all these things. And if we had more abundance that was disconnected from capitalism, I don't think we would feel as threatened by freely giving away what we know and what we love without the expectation of a return, because that's what happens when we share abundance. To support Propaganda, please like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. It really makes a difference.